Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 264 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Through Grief to Healing, an interview with Kim Director. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, Kim Director is a well-known actor who you may have seen in Spike Lee movies such as He Got Game, Summer of Sam, She Hate Me, and Inside Man. Most recently, you may have seen her in HBO's The Deuce and in Orange is the New Black. Her success as an actor required her to learn how to grieve quickly. It is a life and profession filled with rejection and disappointment. The skills that she developed that allows her to sit with and process her grief and then get ready to read the next part has served her well on her Lyme disease journey. We urge you to learn this important pre-healing skill from this director so that you too can acknowledge your feelings of sadness and loss in a way that will propel you forward on your healing journey. Without further ado, we are really excited to introduce you to actor Kim Director. Hey, Kim Director, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> so Kim, I, I want to share a fun fact with you and Matt Sabatello today. Um, I am actually related to Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is actually my grandmother's cousin, and his name was Old Blue Eyes. So I'm wondering whether or not you and I are related because one of the most striking features that, of course, our folks are not going to be aware of because this is an audio-only podcast, is that uh, you and Frank Sinatra have something very much in common. Can, so can you share with us what that is? Uh, it's people do sometimes call me Frank because I have these really light blue eyes. <laughs> so, uh, and it is that you do have very striking blue eyes. So as it turns out, maybe we're related, Kim. What maybe. Do you think? maybe that's why this feels so comfortable, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, Kim, talk to us a little bit about your career just to, you know, give folks some concepts sure. for you. Um, I know you're a New York City gal, but you're also a pretty well-known actor and you've been in some of the most iconic um movies that certainly i have um i have enjoyed uh I, you've done a lot of work with spike lee and some other directors talk to us a little bit about some of the movies you've been in um gosh well thank you for that lovely introduction um yes i am very lucky i have worked with spike lee on many many occasions and i uh, grew up loving his movies and it was my dream to be in a Spike Lee movie one day. So meeting him my third day in New York was totally crazy um, because I didn't think it would happen that fast. Um, <laughs> but probably the most well-known movie I've done for him is a film called Inside Man, um, which is a really great film. Um, and I also did uh, his Netflix series called She's Gotta Have It based on his first movie. Um, I've also done uh, the HBO series called The Juice uh, from David Simon and George Pelicanos, who did The Wire. And uh, I mean, I, I, and I did um, the sequel to The Blair Witch Project. So depending on what type of genre you're into, I've probably acted in it, I think, at this point. Um, but just very grateful to still be a working actress at this That's point. That is really cool. I mean, it is really cool. And, and you've had a really diverse career, right? I mean, you've, you've yeah. sort of done every genre and you've worked with some of the top um, top actors in the um, in the industry. I saw recently on your Instagram that William Defoe was uh, was in um, was in one yeah. of your Instagram shots. So talk to us about that. Uh, yeah, uh, Inside Man. That had the craziest cast ever, uh, like nuts, like Jodie Foster and Clive Owen and Denzel and Chewie Tell. And it was just you know, sometimes it's a little bit of madness when you look back on it. Because when you're doing it, you're just doing your job. And then after the fact, it's like, oh, my God, I really was in that thing with them. But 
That is that is really cool. And it must have been really exciting for you, despite some of the challenges that uh, we're all aware of about what happened at the um, at the Oscars. Uh, I mean, Spike Lee is a kingmaker and a queenmaker, right? And um, and one of the people that he made who, you know, had some challenges in life and Spike Lee gave him a break and now he was recognized with the top um, top recognition at the Oscars. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's so interesting because it actually is the reason I'm a Spike Lee fan. I've never told this story before. Uh, my favorite film of Spike Lee's was Jungle Fever uh, because growing up in my family, uh, I, I used to have a brother. He's no longer with us, but who was very heavily uh, into addiction and drugs. And I remembered seeing, you know, Samuel L. Jackson and Jungle Fever and seeing how crazy that family dynamic was. And honestly, that's what made me want to dream of working with Spike Lee. I just like I, did, I really didn't think it would happen. <laughs> but um, I really like it moved me. So that film moved me so much that I, I just was pretty much obsessed with his films ever since. And it's really cool that you've been able to uh, sort of come full circle from uh, from being a fan based on a personal experience yeah. to now working with him on a number of different occasions. So let's talk about where you grew up. Let's talk about your background a little bit and where you grew up. Okay, so I I have a twin sister and the two of us were adopted together, um, which is very hilarious because everybody in my family are um, just uh, Jewish New Yorkers. And my twin and I are very Irish looking. Um, so uh, it's, I love my family. They're amazing. Uh, I was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My dad is crazy smart, uh, ran a bunch of universities, was electrical engineer, very bright. Nobody in my family had any artistic bone in their body, but my twin uh, was an artist and I started as a singer and then kind of trans formed into an actress, I guess. Um, so we were the only two creative ones, but my parents were very supportive of us. And uh, my dream was to be an actress. I wanted to be an actress from a really young age. Uh, I was very hyper-focused. Uh, when I think of what I, how I spent my years in high school, I'm amazed. I would go to high school, I would drive downtown, I would take three hours of dance classes, I would come back and do play rehearsal. Somehow I would do homework and do it all again the next day. I really, like that was, I was very driven. That was my dream and that's all I wanted. So now you grew up in uh, what, what is now considered uh, one of the tick capitals of the world in the state of Pennsylvania, right? Pennsylvania actually had a, a larger number of Lyme disease cases diagnosed last year than any other state in the US. Uh, we in New York were happy to hand that um, <laughs> hand that uh, over to you folks in Pennsylvania. So I, I'm just wondering, during the course of the time that you were growing up in your um, your academically uh, enriched environment, um, did you know anything about ticks and tick diseases? I knew absolutely nothing about ticks and tick diseases. Uh, I also. I think the first time I ever heard of it, I believe there was an Oprah Winfrey episode about it. And I think that that was following one of the documentaries. So maybe I, that's the only time I saw anything about it. And I just, it, but everyone I saw was like in a wheelchair or barely able to speak. And uh, the, the, another thing about me, I am allergic to sunlight. So I have not been in sunshine is since I was a child. So I was always covered 
and I still am like, I, even though I live in New York, I look like a tourist all the time because I'm constantly in like a giant hat and like these jackets that all have sunscreen in them. So uh, I wasn't a very outdoorsy person because I couldn't be. Um, so I was pretty, I was pretty shocked <laughs> that of all the people that would get Lyme disease, it would be me. Well, and, and, and I think we should explore that a little bit more, uh, and maybe just sort of build out your, your background, but it's, it's, so you knew nothing about ticks and nothing about tick diseases, either from information that your parents shared with you, no. information that you would get from health classes in school, no one in your community had Lyme disease where you would hear about people who were sick from Lyme disease. You knew nothing at all about Lyme. I knew nothing at all. So you're, you're, you're a gal who largely stays indoors and during, during the course of your childhood or after, um, after you became independent, did you have any pets, any companion animals, cats, dogs, any, any animals coming in and out of the house? No, I'm going to sound like American Psycho. No, I had no living creature near me. Um, no, I didn't have anything. <laughs> and I was just like walking around New York in long sleeves. So like, I, I really was pretty shocked that, if, that I could possibly get bitten by a tick. So if, the, if there's someone, if there's someone who would never get Lyme disease, you would think Kim Direct would be that gal, but. I should be that girl for sure. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your um, your college experience. You went to one of the top colleges in the country, uh, certainly one of the top colleges in the state of Pennsylvania, your Carnegie Mellon University grad. So talk to us about Carnegie Mellon and what inspired you to go there and what degree did you graduate with? Okay, so I went to Carnegie Mellon because I was very, I was a pretty accomplished singer and dancer. And Carnegie Mellon is the only school in the country that if you are a musical theater major, you also have to take all the acting classes that the acting majors have to take. So if you go to any other school in the country, like where the acting program, they might be learning dialects, you're gonna be in singing class. So basically I have a double major in acting and musical theater from Carnegie Mellon. And just because I was super intense and I wanted both. Well, and, and, and of course, you were supposed to have both because although you started as a singer, it turns out that your aptitude was somewhere else. Yeah. And, and, and it was that experience at Carnegie Mellon where you, where you were able to build out that aptitude, which ultimately resulted in you having this really cool career. That's very funny. Um, how do I say this? I think that Carnegie Mellon uh, is a fabulous school. There's a bunch of incredible graduates but I think the thing that all of those people have in common is they are so driven and dedicated. So I, I truly believe that like anyone that was a classmate of mine would have been successful no matter where they went, because I feel like that those are the types of people that were attracted to that program. Um, yeah, it was a, it's a pretty intense program. Like you, you're there kind of all day and all night. Well, it's, and it's all, it's also an intense school, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the, for example, the entire robotics department is now working for Google with, you know, the self-driving robotics program, right? I mean, it's a really, really yeah. special place, right? And, you know, one of the things that I, I of course, was wondering, uh, as a gal who graduated from a school like Carnegie Mellon, where they have some of the top programs, both in engineering and in, in, in acting, um, you would think that you would have, um, you know, the opportunity to learn about, um, you know, about your health and, and, and engineering your health and the environment and how to keep yourself safe from 
these uh, these diseases that are prevalent in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where you're going to school. So you don't anything about ticks or tick diseases when you're going to, going to that great college you graduated from. Uh, I knew absolutely nothing. And if you are an acting major, you pretty much do not take anything outside of your major starting freshman year. So I believe I took a semester of history and a semester of English, and that's all that's required. Literally 24 seven, you're in acting and dancing and singing classes. So now let's talk about um, your life after college. You, um, you I moved to New York I, right after college. I was lucky enough to book my first Spike Lee movie within, I don't know, a month of being there. And uh, it was just crazy. But my early, my early 20s was spent, I, I don't even know that I had time to breathe. I was acting, I was auditioning, I had at least three survival jobs because nobody was taking care of me financially. As you know, New York is super expensive. And, um, and I, pretty, I never had a day off. And I really had this workhorse mentality of like, okay, no, 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 I can hustle and I can do this. I ended up in 2002, I was babysitting somebody and i remember going into a clinic it was it was um it was like for a massage but it was a, in a doctor's office and i remember going for this massage and the the practitioner saying oh no there's a bite on the back of your thigh i need the doctor to come in the doctor comes in and she says okay, you're going to have to go to your normal doctor before we're going to treat you. And I was like, treat me. I'm getting a massage. Like, what are you even talking about? And I was like, look at me. I'm so white. I'm sure it's a spider bite. Like I don't even go outdoors half the time. And they're just like, nope, sorry. You got to go to your doctor. Sends me to my doctor. I say the whole story. And my doctor asks me, well, have you been to Connecticut? No. Have you been to Long Island? And I said, no, I've walked through Central Park. And she's like, oh, then you're safe. And that was it. And never use the word tick, never use the word lime, never use the word bullseye rash, which apparently I had because it was clear to all of these medical professionals. And because not one of those words was ever used, I still was unaware of Lyme disease. And I had no idea when a few years later I started really getting sick that I had ever even been exposed to it. So talk to us about when you started to get sick and what those early symptoms were. Sure. So I, uh, I started really getting sick in 2008. Um, I had a tremendous, I had a huge weight gain in, I think I gained like 30 pounds in like two months and nothing had changed in my diet or my exercise. It came out of nowhere. Uh, I had had a handful of migraine headaches when I was younger, but I started getting very frequent migraine headaches. I also had about six to eight years where I was in and out of a boot on my left foot. I kept breaking bones. I kept tearing ligaments and tendons. Uh, there was a, like a six month period where I wasn't supposed to walk because the breaks were so bad. Um, which is really hard to do in New York City. Um, and then if you rank it up to like 2016, it started to get insane. Uh, and when I say that, it's that, I, so, so where my case is different than a lot of Lyme people 
is, I, I mean, I went I, undiagnosed for over 18 years. So my symptoms crept up so slowly. And each time a symptom came up, it was like, oh, there's something wrong with my foot. Well, guess what? Like, guess what? I have a lot of doctors in my family. I had no problem going to doctors. I went to every specialist known to man and nobody saw that anything was related. Everything was treated as a case by case basis with no through line. Um, in 2016, I think was really when my extreme fatigue started and my migraines progressed where I was getting them 15 to 20 times a month and they were not responding to medication. And again, I'm hustling. So I'm still on set and teaching while this is all happening. So let's build that out a little bit, right? Because generally there will be an immune disrupting event that will cause your disease to accelerate and take you to a very different place. Meaning your immune system was managing these microbes for seems like at least eight years. And, yeah. and I'm not entirely sure you weren't bitten as a child because if you were having the migraines and you're having some of these symptoms as a child, maybe what was happening is that you got reinfected, but let's, let's get past that for a second and, and focus on what were you doing at that time, right? You were burning the candle at, you know, not yes. both ends, 4,000 ends, and you're not resting and you're, you're not taking a break and you're working a whole bunch of jobs. And so build that out for us. I mean, what, type of, of, of rest were you getting and what types of pressure were you putting your body under at that time? That is so cute. Rest. What a funny word. Um, <laughs> okay. I believe it started in, I, okay. So I believe 2016 was the beginning of, it was four years where I was a regular on two TV series. I think I did three or four oh no, maybe it was like four or five films in that same time. I also did, I think three other TV shows, like one off. So I was working a lot. The other thing I was doing at the exact same time while I was shooting all of these jobs was I'm a master Pilates instructor who's a chronic pain and injury specialist. Uh, I, I have been for a very, very long time. And I was still teaching clients 20 to 30 hours a week on top of these shooting schedules. And on top of these shooting schedules and teaching 20 to 30 hours a week, I'm also auditioning to try to get my next thing, which takes up a lot of time. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. And I'm also trying to look presentable as a woman in my industry, <laughs> which also takes a minute as well. And at the same time, I'm rehabbing my foot, I'm in PT three times a week to get my foot better. I'm doing all of these things. And, and by the way, having migraines almost every day of this experience. So yeah, so I think my body finally, uh, but really the incident that I think brought it all together in 2018, I woke up in the middle of the night and I don't know if you've seen the film, The Usual Suspects. Uh -huh. uh, Okay, great film. So Kevin Spacey has a very distinctive walk in, uh, in The Usual Suspects. So I woke up in the middle of the night with burning pain and I started walking like Kevin Spacey from The Usual Suspects. So I had a drop foot and a herniated disc that was so severe. And I spoke to a neurologist and the second he saw my MRI, he's like, you need to get to the hospital tonight. I am operating tomorrow. And I still was in the case where I was like, 
well, I don't think you understand. Like I'm a Pilates instructor, so I feel pretty confident I will be able to fix this. Um, and that was amusing for him. <laughs> he was just like, um, I really cannot debate this. You will be disfigured for the rest of your life if I do not do this operation. Like this is no negotiation. So we do this operation. I had only had pain for a few days before this operation occurred. After surgery, I was under the impression that I would be walking normally. Uh, I was exactly the same. And so he said to me, um, you know, I know you said you've only had pain for a few days. I need you to think back. This started over a year ago. And I know because I know how much nerve damage has happened to you. And I remembered, you know what? He's right. A year ago, I started having all this lower back pain. But because I know how to rehab back pain better than anyone, I did every exercise I needed to do. And it just kind of masked how severely injured I was. And, you know, I was just such a nonstop New Yorker. It was like, you know, who takes a break? I'm not going to take a break. I got this. So like many genetically gifted people, um, you took for granted your health. You pushed it beyond any reasonable limit and ultimately you you crashed right i sure did I, I can tell you that the people who are listening to this podcast people who are regularly listening to this podcast were wincing the way i was because i could just see this coming right i mean I, you know as you were describing yeah. the way you were living your life and you were you were you know you were driven the way you were driven through college well high school through college through your your early life as a new yorker you know that you know eventually your body's going to give out. Eventually these microbes are going to take over and it does. Right. So when, when did you, when did you get, you know, sick to the point where you couldn't drive yourself the way you were and what doctors did that take you to? Wait, well, I just, okay, I'm going to give you one little amazing tidbit that happened right before that turning point. Um, which I thought was astounding as I went, I was in acupuncture and I walked in and my acupuncturist said, oh my God, what happened to you? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, Kim, the whole left side of your face is completely dropped. Like you have Bell's palsy. You need to get yourself to a neurologist now. Now, meanwhile, I've been through half the neurologists in New York city and all of them have told me we have no idea what causes migraine. Let's try this medicine. Let's see what happens. Um, you know, they did an MRI and they're like, nope, neurologically, you're great. But literally what this neurologist had said to me was, Kim, it is really hard for women to age. You know, I'm really sorry, but, uh, you know, sometimes women have a really hard time with it. Um, I, I really found it why, like totally incredible that every doctor I went to would basically say to me, you look good. So we think you're fine. Like that was basically every time I had anything, no one would believe that I was as tired as I was because I was accomplishing as much as I was. And I was basically told, oh, well, when women get older, they get tired. What can we say? Um, so uh, for any, anyone who's been dismissed by their doctors out there, I just want you to know, like, it can really happen in, in an incredible fashion. Um, but sorry, to get back to your question, the turning point for me was the very end of 2019, I had finished a job. It was a very stressful job. When I came back to New York City after shooting, 
I started noticing massive PTSD symptoms. Uh, I was afraid someone was breaking into my apartment. I lived in a secure doorman building that was completely irrational and completely out of character for me. My fatigue was so bad that it would take at least three hours a day to get out of bed in the morning. And that was on a good day. Uh, my migraines were absolutely out of control. I still had a slight drop to my face. I had so much pain. My brain fog was so immense that I could no longer remember anything, which was really interesting for an actress because that's actually one of the only things I have to do for my job. <laughs> I mean, to put it lightly, but like, that's really like the, the baseline requirement is that I can remember things. Um, I think what really contributed to also was the fact that I was working in two professions where I can't be in a bad mood. So I was feeling all of these things, but to everyone around me, I had to be happy and good natured and easy to get along with because there was no way I was going to keep continue going forward in either career if I was coming in being sick. In 2000, in 2021, halfway through the year, I, I, and by the way, at this point, I probably visited 80 different doctors in between New York and LA, checking out every single symptom. Uh, finally, I was like, okay, forget it. I'm, I'm going to go to a private one of some fancy private doctor, some anti-aging hormone person that understands it. And just in my intake, uh, Dr. Lionel Bassoon in New York city, after just an hour of talking about my symptoms, he's like, okay, well, let's take some blood, but I'm positive you have Lyme disease or you've got toxic mold poisoning or maybe both. Let's see. And so <laughs> we took a bunch of blood and sure enough, uh, six tests were negative and one was slightly positive. And he said immediately, all right, you need to go to a Lyme literate doctor. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I want to stay with you. You're the only competent doctor I've seen in 15 years. And he was like, nope, it's way too tricky. And it's been in your system way too long. You're going to go to a Lyme specialist. So I did. And when I met with that specialist, I... I can see now that I was truly suicidal at that point, um, that I really had given up. I, I really did not, uh, even in, throughout the appointment, I think it was pretty clear to that doctor as well. Um, interesting thing at the beginning of 2020, so I got COVID right at the beginning of 2020, which I think also set off a lot of this stuff as well. I got it pretty badly because I could not walk because I couldn't do anything physically, I started this really deep meditation practice and I started a lot of trauma therapy at the beginning of 2020. I also started a journal practice from Nicole Sachs, which is all about for people with chronic pain. And I, I urge people to look into it because it's something that is free and you have access to and can be really helpful for chronic pain. So I had been doing all that work for a year and a half before I met this doctor. I go to the Lyme specialist and he said, well, you don't just have Lyme. You also have uh, Babesia and Bartonella and we're going to have to treat it one at a time. We're going to treat it with antibiotics and a bunch of other supplements and see how you do. So Kim, let me ask you to pause there for a minute and walk back with me to your diagnosis and your pre-diagnosis window. I have a couple more questions to ask you before yeah. you explore your, your treatment. Yeah. So you said you, you saw about 80 different doctors yeah. for what was 
immediately obvious to the 81st doctor. Correct. During the course of the time that you treated with the 80 doctors, did anyone ever talk to you about Lyme or any tick diseases? Did it ever get on your radar? At the end of 2019, when I was in Los Angeles working on something, I went to a, I guess like a homeopathic doctor. And from my symptoms, she said to me, well, you might have Lyme disease, but I'll be honest with you, it's really hard to find in any blood work if it's been in your system that long. And she's like, and you know, it just, it sounds like Lyme, but she's like, really, it's like impossible to test for. So I, I that was the first time anyone used that word, but from how it was, how it was presented to me, it was presented as like, it's been in your system so long. We also, not only can we not find it, I don't think we can treat it. So I really didn't explore that avenue because it seemed like there was something I was not going to be able to address. So Kim, just to reflect back on a couple of things, you, you, had, um, you had an experience with a massage therapist who sent you to a doctor who, if they had been properly trained and you had been properly alerted to this, you could have averted 18 okay. years of pain. Not only that, had they just said the word Lyme disease, in 2008, when I got sick, I would have had it in my consciousness that the next neurologist I saw, I could have said, you know, I have no idea if this is related, but I do know that I, I you know, did get bitten by this tick. What do you think? Like it really could, I mean, it could have changed my entire life in a profound way had I not been sick for 18 years, for sure. So part of what happened with that experience was you were not, no one said anything to you about ticks. No one said anything to you about Lyme. No one said to you about tick diseases. So you just went on your way, right? Yep. But now you're you're meeting with a homeopathic doctor who is also aware of um, of the uh, possibility that you were suffering from Lyme disease. But the way this doctor described Lyme to you, you didn't think it was something that you needed to necessarily focus on, and that it wasn't necessarily something that would make a difference if you did focus on it. So you again had an opportunity for an earlier intervention. Yeah and did nothing because of the way it was presented to you. Yes, correct. It was presented as though we probably can't find it and we probably can't treat it. So let's focus on your adrenals or you know whatever else to get me out of bed. So other than other than the the one doctor now, the homeopathic doctor during the, this 80 doctor tour, did anyone else mention anything or ask you any questions about being bitten by a, by a tick or that you, you know, were you in a tick endemic community, which by the way, you grew up in one, but you know, yeah. do, are you from the East coast? I mean, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Okay. So now when you finally got your diagnosis, right? You, you finally meet a competent doctor who diagnoses you with Lyme disease and of course is wise enough to refer you out to an expert on, on this. Did, um, did that doctor give you hope? And, oh, yes. And did that doctor put you in a position where you, where you now understood that this is a very serious disease that could be treated if you were uh, working with the, a properly trained and experienced practitioner. Yes, this doctor, well, not only did he discover Lyme disease, which I will be forever grateful for, 
he also figured out everything else, which was my thyroid wasn't working. There were so many other hormone imbalances. There was a lot going on. And I had been dismissed by so many other doctors where they would look at one blood test instead of a full panel and say, nope, see, your, your numbers are totally healthy, like without having all the information. Um, so I knew that with, that I, at least I had somebody that understood that there was something definitely wrong, no matter how good I looked on the outside, that there was something very wrong with me. Um, I wasn't, I got to say, I wasn't, uh, I, I did ask the Lyme specialist, I was, I said, what is the ballpark of how long this will take? Because I already knew that it was going to take a while. And he said, well, conservatively, I would say you're probably looking at nine months to a year of antibiotics to start. And, uh, you know, but really we'll have to kind of take it from there and see how you do. So uh, one of the things that blows me away, Kim, about this story, before we go more into your treatment, is the fact that all along you're living in New York City. And I just want to emphasize, so you were told that you can't get Lyme disease in Central Park, correct? Correct blows my mind right so it just I, I know i'm emphasizing a point that rich already talked to you about but the fact that you had a tick bite you went to a doctor and this all could have been avoided is so frustrating from my standpoint because so many of us have been through that and i think that's you know with proper education so many of our journeys could have been avoided so i will digress with that point but i'm just frustrated for you and I had to share my frustration with our listeners well, so let's talk more about now you're, you're treating with a specialist, you're going over your options, and now you have Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, and did you have mold? Was there any indicators in your blood work that you had some mold exposure or mold toxicity? I know that I had mold exposure because the, uh, my former apartment did have mold in it, but it was not to an alarming rate on paper, and I've since moved. So I feel like that was hopefully okay. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see. So- so now let's talk about though the, the treatment plan because you, you were touching on this, right? So what exactly did you walk away with after you got diagnosed with all these things and you first began to treat all of these tick-borne illnesses? So uh, the Lyme doctor expressed we would be killing off each disease one at a time. Uh, I was given a lot of supplements in addition to the antibiotics. The first thing I believe we were killing off is Babesia. I was on a medication called Coartem, a malaria pill that I got severely sick from. So the first two months of that treatment, I, I think I left my bed once in the first month. I mean, it really knocked me out. But I got a lot of help. I had a, a dear friend who put me in touch, and she would be a lovely podcast guest, I will say. Um, this wonderful actress, playwright, television writer, screenwriter, uh, Hallie Pfeiffer, who had been, and she had, I had just seen a play that she wrote where her lead character had Lyme disease. And I loved her play. And again, like didn't see any similarity, had no idea. Um, and so my friend put us in touch and she said, you know, I have been, struggling with Lyme for eight years. I'm only now feeling better. Let me give you the cliff notes version of what's going to help you out. I was like, okay, I'm ready. And so she said, you know, uh, get yourself into an infrared sauna as soon as humanly possible. She said, you, you know, you have to take so much time to sleep and to rest. 
She said, you have to say no to any person or situation that is going to drain your energy in any way whatsoever. Uh, and you have to uh, get yourself a trauma therapist. And that like, it's like, she was like, basically like, this is a whole person disease. This isn't just, oh, this is a medical condition. Everything has to change. And so I took her advice and it's New York City. So I found an infrared sauna four blocks from my apartment and I went five to seven days a week from, and I still do it. And uh, I ended up having to uh, also go through a detox process. So I have to do a lot of colonics. Um, I do a lot of things for my gut health, although I don't, I don't know that that's really going to get that much better until I'm off of these antibiotics. Um, but I will say this, that uh, I think that the tenacity that I have and the drive I have as an actress to stay in this profession as long as I have is exactly why, you know, I had seven surgeons tell me I would never walk normally again after my back surgery. And I was like, really? You haven't met me yet. And guess what? I'm 100% recovered. So I feel like it's that mindset that I'm bringing to Lyme disease as well. And, you know, I'm only month eight into my treatment and I'm still, you know, 65, 70% back to my normal self. And I know like we've only scratched the surface of it. So like, I, I don't have a doubt in my mind. Like I know I'm recovered. Well, Kim, we're in we do something called the Lyme Hackathon in May for Lyme Disease Awareness Month, which we are absolutely going to be asking you to participate in when this is over. And we had one hack in particular that we got from one of our, our past podcast guests that talked exactly about what you just described. And her hack was that never give up. And this whole term cure, people shy away from the term cure because can you ever fully get rid of all the bacteria from your body? And there's this whole, you know, drama and conflict over that term. But her point was that if you lose hope and you don't keep fighting and you listen to these doctors, because she was told by almost a hundred doctors, she would never fully recover. But here she is today, fully recovered, living her life. So her, her line packer, her tip was don't give up, don't lose hope. I don't care if a hundred doctors tell you you're never going to get better. The hundred and first doctor can help you get there. Right. And that's exactly what you're telling us, Kim. And I think that's a really important message that very few people, in fact, you're only the second person out of almost 270 people have shared with us. So, so I think that's a really powerful mindset piece and, and also just driving factor for us to never give up because we can and will get better if we're determined enough to find something to help us. And we're, we're all different. We're all not the same. Right. So, so, you know, what do you think about that? Because I think that's a really common misconception many people suffering with tick-borne illness face, and they almost accept this false reality of, I will be sick forever. Uh, that's a, I had a friend of mine who just mentioned something the other day to me, which I found so wonderful, which he had had, a, he had suffered a, from a car accident. He had this bad shoulder injury. And while he was recovering, his doctor had said something great, which was, you know, if you find that anywhere during this process, you can feel pain-free or normal, and maybe it only lasts a half hour, it, it, that's really your body's way of letting you know it's trying to recalibrate to get back to normal. So even if 90% of your day is spent where you can't remember your own name, I could not remember my name. I had to tape up lines to audition with because I couldn't remember a thing. But if all of a sudden, if 10% of your day, maybe if it's one day of the week, 
you can tell you are cognitively, physically, spiritually whole and yourself, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. And it's just like that sign that your body is giving you to let you know, yep, no, we're doing it. And I know it's probably taken a little longer than you'd like, but we're doing it like when we are working on this. If you could just give us a quick picture of how sick you were, because seeing you and hearing you, I don't think people can appreciate the severity of how sick you were. So you you just said, I couldn't remember my name. And when you said that, I was like, no way, right? Because you're just so articulate right now. So you were bed bound. You could barely remember your name. Um, it sounds like you had excruciating pain and migraines. So just give us an idea of how sick you were for context in this interview to see where you are and where you are now. I mean, there was a good two, almost two years. When I say I did not get out of bed, I mean, I was able to, uh, I couldn't walk around the block. That's for sure. I, I was able to get like to my kitchen or the bathroom in a very small New York City apartment, which is not a lot of steps. Um, but I really, I, I had no physical energy whatsoever. Cognitively, I was so impaired. I could not remember things. I even at times it was hard to, to speak, to really get my mouth to form words to talk. Um, I was in so much pain. I was so sensitive to noise and light. Like any little bit of noise sent me reeling. And, and but that was funny, you know, the noise sensitivity was another one that crept up. And I remembered it was probably in like 2018. It was after my back surgery. I remember saying something to one of my physical therapists. We were recovering my foot. And I remember saying to him, oh yeah, I, I can't go inside of a restaurant. It's too loud. And he said, wow, well, you know, that's not normal, right? Something else is happening. And I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I think I'm just sensitive. And he was like, yeah, no, 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 no. If you are telling me that you live in New York City and you've lived here a long time and you can't enter a restaurant because of noise, something is wrong. So all of these things that I kept, I mean, I dismissed every single symptom. I really, yeah, I rationalized and dismissed every single symptom and I chose to believe these doctors, but I mean, I knew I wasn't right. And I would tell them my symptoms, but just no one believed me. And I, I was always left with, you know, what can I say? Women get tired and you look healthy. So um, but yeah, it was, it was terrible. I really didn't see how I was going to move forward. I think Rich and I, you can probably sense are getting extremely frustrated for you in the situation because it's just, nobody should be treated that way. And here you are trying to get better, seeing over 80 doctors and thank God you finally got a diagnosis, I guess, to be positive about this, because I believe there are many people out there today suffering probably for decades that have 2.0 illness like Lyme disease and don't even know it and may never know it. Right. And that's the scary part when you think about that particular subset of the population that we don't even know about. But I do, I want to, what's her name? Haley, your friend, Haley Pfeiffer. Was that her name? Yeah. Let's talk talk more about Haley, right? Because I wish I had a Haley when I first got sick. I mean, man, that advice she gave you was on point, right? So you know, rest is key. And I, I really didn't appreciate this until we started to take boot camp. You need to sleep. If you're not sleeping, you are not going to get better, right? And a lot of us have insomnia. So we need to find a way to sleep. And there's so many things we can do that are non-pharmaceutical. And if it has to be pharmaceutical, that's fine as well. 
But I think we almost accept the fact that we can't sleep. And that is a byproduct of a lot of the stuff that comes along with Lyme. But that was a really good tip that she gave you. But the one I, I really want to focus on with you is the say no to people that drain your energy, right? Because I don't think when you're healthy, you realize the impact those people have on you as a person, even if you're healthy. But when you're sick, it's a whole nother level of emotional and physical impact they have on you when people are negative and draining in your life. So Crystal Hefner, we interviewed her, interviewed her spoke about the social detoxing process she had to go through. And I, and I honestly, Kim, I talk about this all the time because I love that word and I've done it in my own life. I had to socially detox to optimize my healing ability in this journey. And it's something that has been so powerful for myself and others. So did you take Haley's advice at first? Did you start to, you know, limit your exposure to these toxic people? Like, or, or was it like, eh, I don't know if I really fully buy into that yet. Actually, I, I loved that episode with Crystal Hefner. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I was like, God, that's so similar. <laughs> um, yes, I limited my exposure tremendously. But here, this is also, I've listened to uh, quite a few of your episodes. And I do notice, like, I've noticed a similarity. And that there's a lot of very much like people-pleasing, overachievers, you know, trauma survivors that end up with Lyme disease. And I think it's like those characteristics that can make us very successful in other aspects of our lives can make it really overwhelming as a patient because we do want to say yes to everybody and we do want to be there for people and we don't want to be difficult and we don't want to like have these boundaries with people. So I definitely am a very different person now than I was, let's say the end of 2019. <laughs> um, I feel like I keep my circle pretty small. Um, I really uh, pace myself and I, you know, and, and the thing which is so interesting is I, I remember like, I remember asking uh, Crystal Hefner about like, how did they take it? Like when you socially detox? Well, the truth is most people won't notice <laughs> because most people are really focused on themselves. So it's actually not very hard to do. You really, I just, I didn't even think of it of who was I letting go of. I just thought, nope, who do I actually want to spend time with? That's what I'm attracted to. That's what I'm focusing on. I'm literally just focusing on the good. And to, to that end, I will also say, I did do something, which is something I learned how to do as an actress a really long time ago, which an older actress gave me this advice years and years ago. And she said, like, whenever you get bad news, give yourself a grieving period. Like if you, you, you know, you auditioned for this part seven times and you don't get it and you're devastated, like give yourself 24 hours where you get to be really sad about it and you can feel sad. And then like the next day it's over. And so when it came to Lyme disease and realizing that like I had 15 years where I did not need to be in excruciating pain every day. Um, like I gave myself a week and I like let myself grieve like the life that could have been and just decided to let it go and just, okay, this is where we are now. And you can just like step forward and it's like, all right, this is where we are. And like, I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, I really like your observation. And Rich and I have noted this as well, that it's the people pleasers in the Lyme community that seem to be more vulnerable and susceptible. I think because we tend to focus on others more than ourselves. And a lot of that, you know, to get deep, maybe based off of trauma causing us to be people pleasers, right? So it's, yeah. it's you know, what causes what? But I think in the end, if you're a people pleaser, 
you're not giving your, yourself what it needs. You're not being in tune to your body and you're not giving your, you know, your, your body what it needs ultimately to heal. And then you're going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. And the part of, of being able to give this grieving period, I think is brilliant also because I, it's really hard, right? And I know people in this community, Rich and I spoke to, spoken to thousands of people in the Lyme community over the past two and a half years. And I can't tell you how many of them have harped on over and over and over. I mean, hours on support groups or on social media, just focusing on the fact that I'll never be who I was ever again. They start, they cry and they can't get out of that. So I think you need to feel your feelings because it's unhealthy to suppress your feelings. So what you're arguing, I think is the best of both worlds. You need that grieving period. You have to feel the feelings, but then you have to move on and focus on healing and not dwell on those feelings of sadness because you lost who you were before Lyme disease. So I think it's a really good way to articulate it and to teach it to people that are listening to this podcast. So the next question I have for you though, Kim, is let's talk more about the treatment, right? So you're, you're focusing on maybe treatment first, you're hitting it hard. You're really, really sick. You talk to Haley, you have all these things you're bringing into your routine. Were you able to have a better quality of life while treating Babesia because of the infrared sauna and because of being able to rest more and, you know, removing the, the negative, negative people from your life, et cetera. Um, yes. At about at the end of the second month and I had started hitting the sauna pretty hard and, and regularly, I started being able to walk again. Like I could, I could actually like walk around New York and as someone with a thyroid condition, walking is really, really helpful. It's also, you know, I, I think it's like when, it, <laughs> and as someone who's also, you know, spent a very long time as a master Pilates instructor and rehab expert, oh, New York city is a whole city full of people in this fight or flight. And so when I see people that are already in that state, then going for these super aggressive workouts, I, it kind of like my heart will skip a beat because I, it, it's not, it, it's ultimately not going to be beneficial. Um, I, you know, because I've had to rehab myself from so many injuries, I figured out a whole plan. I can literally rehab anybody at this point. And, and to do it in a way that isn't high impact and isn't gonna put your cortisol levels through the roof. And so I just started taking my own advice and I basically started training myself like I was one of my clients. And by doing that little by little, it really has served me so well. Kim, I, I wanna explore that a little bit deeper with you because We've heard from some of the leading Lyme doctors like Dr. Biarascano, who was like literally the first Lyme literate doctor here in Long Island, New York. And we've heard from Dr. Rawls and we've heard from Dr. Horowitz that if you don't move, you will not get better from Lyme disease. And movement doesn't have to be even starting off with a walk. It can be doing things like, you know, like gentle yoga or Tai yeah. Chi and then working up to walking and then walking a little bit more. And then, but you have to move, right? So you just said that, I mean, this is your background. You were, you were the, you know, the, a master, a master Pilates instructor, you knew how to help people rehab without increasing the cortisol. Talk to us about exactly what you did to start moving again and helping your body heal. So our listeners can learn from, you know, your knowledge and your training and your background to apply those things in their own lives. Okay. So I am a big believer of each small change makes a huge difference. And each positive change that you're going to make for your health is going to motivate you to want to make another more positive change. So like if I've just sweat out in an infrared sauna and I've done a cold plunge and then I'm getting a colonic, am I going to want to eat like 
fast food afterwards? Nope, that doesn't really make much sense. So I usually would say whatever is the most agreeable kind of movement, that's where you start because it's something that you'll actually do. So for most people, it's going to be walking and walking is tremendous. Walking is so helpful. What I like to do for a lot of people is I give them a lot of mobility training. Uh, so it's not very taxing. It's not high impact, but it's to keep your range of motion full. And that's a great thing for as you're recovering from any injury. Because, I mean, you know, unfortunately, like you use it or lose it, like <laughs> came from somewhere. <laughs> it's pretty true with your body. So, uh, you know, there's, there's so much gold here. And I think we, we could have a whole conversation on movement, but we, we may circle back to this. I think it's a really important topic there. So let's go back to Babesia. So how long were you on Babesia treatment for? You mentioned, was it a month? I think it was two months. Two months. I believe it's two months of that. And then I, I went on to a different uh, antibiotic after that. And now you're starting to make a little bit of progress. You're moving again, which is great, right? And yeah. and what was next? Was it Lyme and Bartonella together or was it just Bartonella? You know, what was the next step after it that? It was uh, Lyme and Bartonella together, which is where, where we still are technically. <laughs> um, uh, every day, it's, it, it's interesting. I, th I think that really what I credit a lot of my patients came from starting a really deep meditation practice at the beginning of 2020. Um, and I do it every day for 45 minutes and I really don't miss it. And it has certainly changed my anxiety and my outlook and my level of patience and my reactivity to situations. And honestly, uh, once I gave myself that week to grieve, there's been no pressure about a timeline for me at all. That pressure has been taken off of me because you know what? Like I, I was told that I was never going to walk normally again. Like I was told this thing was incurable. Well, guess what? Like the absolutely not true. And, and I certainly was not going to mentally sign up to be a professional patient for the rest of my life. So like when I think of myself, if I visualize myself in my life, I am healed. I am a hundred percent normal. I think your mind is like the biggest controller of so many things that happen to your body. So I, I do notice one of the things you mentioned to us is that you recommend that Lyme people and Lyme patients get a therapist who can specialize in trauma, right? And we yeah. talked earlier about trauma. I believe there's a link between trauma and becoming a people pleaser. And I think, you know, part of that is because trauma can put you into fight or flight, which then you, you fawn, which really fawning is becoming a people pleaser. And now you're stuck in fight or flight, you're fawning. And the combination together is really detrimental to your health because you're not focusing on your own health. You're focusing on others. And now you're stuck in fight or flight, which, you know, from a nervous system standpoint is inhibiting you from healing as well. So what made you focus in on trauma? Was it Haley Pfeiffer? Who pointed you in that direction? And talk to us about how trauma therapies helped you throughout your healing journey and that the mindset you just said of time frame is not important. I'm feeling better. I know I'm going to get better. And this is life, right? I'm not going to be a lifelong patient here. It's like, what, what role that'll play, you know, and how was it connected? Um, when I started experiencing PTSD symptoms very severely at the end of 2019, I, I knew right then and there something is wrong and I'm going to have to look into this. So I didn't know, I just, I knew that there was a problem and that's when I started trauma therapy. It wasn't until, you know, a year and a half later <laughs> when Hallie got back in touch with me where I was like, oh, well then I guess 
this really came in handy that I already did this for the last year and a half. This is great. Um, no, there was something, there was just knowing, thinking that somebody is breaking into your apartment is not a normal reaction. And I could recognize that. And I knew I wasn't crazy. And I knew I wasn't being overly sensitive. I knew that my brain was reacting to something. And that obviously I needed to, to speak to a person. You know, I had had a lot of therapy in my 20s. I, I kind of don't know why. I didn't really know who I was then. I don't know how beneficial it was for me then. But it was very different doing it now, present day, with some life experience. And, you know, obviously my body was reacting pretty severely and it needed to be addressed. And, and when I say this about trauma, so I said I was adopted. I have a twin sister. Um, how it worked when I was adopted in, I was adopted in the state of Florida, you're put into um, like a home for the first six months of your life. So like you're in an orphanage and like, it's great. I had my twin. I like to imagine we probably like slept next to each other or whatever, but it's like trauma isn't necessarily somebody has attacked you on the street. Like there are things in childhood that you might feel rejected by a parent. There might be things that you as an adult person think, oh, well, that wasn't such a big deal. I'm totally fine. Basically to say to go to a trauma therapist, I think is to find like, what is the key thing that you keep sort of reliving and re-triggering and trying to heal that wound so that you can then go forward as a whole person. And how does that trauma, whether it's something recent that's minor, something significant, whether it's a childhood trauma, how does that prevent somebody from healing? Because a lot of people that we talk to don't realize the importance of trauma and how it inhibits their healing, right? So what role does that play? And, and from your from your Lyme doctor and your trauma therapist, how have they explained it to you that trauma itself can really be an integral part of preventing you from getting better? Well, if you are stuck in a state of trauma, you are going to be reactive. So really, if you can resolve that trauma and you can learn how to bring peace, I mean, believe me, you're talking to somebody who had 17 jobs at once and didn't believe in taking a day off for decades. Okay, so for me to be like, yeah, I meditate every day for 45 minutes to an hour, like that's not my, I'm not naturally that person. That isn't how I was wired, but I'm a much more calm and peaceful person because I've trained myself to do that. And so I can go through the world and I don't have to be reactive and I don't have to be in like the houses on fire at all times. I get to really take a little time and notice what is important to focus on and what isn't. I think that when you are in a state of trauma and it is unresolved, it's going to play itself out in so many different parts of your life. And I really like whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in your relationship with your kids or with your friends or at your job. I just think it's something that, you know, unfortunately, Lyme disease, you don't get to just choose, like focus on the medical medical part of it. You have to focus on everything. Let's circle back to the gut health topic, because you were talking about your gut health and, oh, yeah, I don't know what I can do because I'm still on antibiotics right now. But one of the things that I've come to realize is you can do things while you're taking antibiotics to protect your gut health and lessen the damage the antibiotics are doing to your gut. So are you doing anything right now while on antibiotics to strengthen or protect your gut health and almost prevent this damage from happening or lessening this damage from happening? 
I am. I'm on a bunch of different supplements. Please don't test me on them right now. <laughs> I want to know everyone, Kim. Come on, list them off. <laughs> but I'm on, a, I'm on an awful lot of them. I also, I ended up getting real, as I said, I'm very into the infrared sauna. I do cold therapy, whether it's cryo or cold plunge, or even like I would do a sauna and then walk without a coat through the streets of New York in the winter. Like I would in any way possible, I would do it. Um, but I've, I've been on a very serious colonic uh, regimen to help me to detox. And during about the last two months of it, I really wasn't eating a lot of food. Like, cause I was so sort of, my stomach was like not really receptive to eating a lot, but it actually helped immensely in detoxing because we were able to get through stuff that's been there for a while, as opposed to just digesting current food. So I had done a lot of intermittent fasting and then a lot of just like a bit, a bit of food restriction, but for detox purposes, not for weight loss or vanity purposes. And it's been incredibly helpful. Well, it's really interesting. So in order to get to things that were sort of, I'll say, baked into your GI tract, right? Yeah. You're, you're fasting, you're doing a colonic and it's really cleaning you out at like almost the base level, right? And that's helping you detox a lot of this stuff that you've built up over your lifetime. Yes, indeed. So let's talk more about the cold therapy because walking through New York City in the winter without a jacket, our listeners couldn't see my face, but I cringed. I mean, that sounds horrible, right? I mean, I would no, love- after a sauna, it's divine. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I mean, you look, I, I would love to do all these, you know, these, these, cryotherapy that see people doing, but it just, to me, it sounds like torture. So for you, was you know, is it as hard as I am making it out to be? And what are the therapeutic benefits directly after doing, you know, this, this cryotherapy? <laughs> um, okay. It is not nearly, here's the thing. If you can deal with Lyme disease, you can deal with anything. All right. Lyme disease is so miserable. So you've got everybody listening, give yourself way more credit than you think. Um, no, really mentally just putting your mind to it and knowing that, because I'll say doing the hot and the cold, for me, the biggest benefit was the mental clarity. Um, so there's a lot of benefits on cold therapy and what it can do with your neurotransmitters and, and helping for clear thinking. For the sauna part, I believe it was addressed to me that it was something that could actually penetrate your cells deeply enough to really kill infection. And so it's great for anyone with autoimmune issues. So the combo of the two of them have been unbelievably helpful for me. And, and honestly, I, I honestly don't know what's worked. I mean, to me, I feel like that's worked more than the medicine, but I'm not going to completely discredit antibiotics. But really, when I started upping that regimen is when I really started feeling relief. All right. So you're walking out in New York city on a snowy day in a t-shirt and you come home. How do you feel? Is it an immediate benefit? Is it like, yes. Oh my goodness, I need to go to bed and, and get 10 blankets on me. Like, walk us through what that's like and how you're feeling physically afterwards. Physically afterwards. The greatest part is that for someone who was bedridden for two years is I finally had energy and I finally would have my brain. So I felt like I was on top of the world. And then, you know, a couple hours later, it's like, okay, now I can go to bed. And so as you become more consistent with these therapies, the longer the lifespan they have. So like, I know so many people now, like when they're, if they're building a home, they put in an infrared sauna and I think, oh my God, how lucky are you? 
like <laughs> that you can just go downstairs and do this for 20, 30 minutes a day. Like it'll change your life for sure. Let's talk about the sauna now too in the same question, right? So when you're done with a sauna treatment, what is it like directly after? Because some people do have heat sensitivities and they say that, you know, if they go too long or too hot, especially when they first start out, they will have sensitivities, whether it's dizziness, whether it's symptom flare, inflammation, pain, et cetera. So what, what's your, your experience been with the sauna as far as adverse reactions? But once you got you know, settled in with it, what are the immediate after effects when you're done with the sauna treatment? So when I first started using infrared sauna, I mean, I, I had fainted a few times and I used to suffer. I still suffer from dizziness, especially when like sitting up really quickly. So I definitely had a few moments of being uh, a little dizzy, but you kind of like, how can I say this? It's the same thing as working out. Like you really just want to start off a little bit at a time, let your body feel safe. One of the reasons I had this whole other life as this, you know, healing coach, and I really think is because like, I knew how much pain I was in and I knew how I wanted someone to talk to me and I knew how I wanted someone to believe what I was telling them. And so any person that I would help got a hundred percent of that support and attention from me. And I feel like that's half the battle of healing is like, you know, if somebody's telling you you're crazy and this is all in your head, like you're not really in a great space to heal. <laughs> like as soon as someone can accept like, right, this is really happening to you right now. I think it, it really opens the door to healing. I want to address one thing because you, you mentioned in the beginning, you fainted a few times after doing the sauna, right? And a lot of people... Sorry, okay. I just say I, I was sorry. Let me correct. I fainted a few times in my lifetime. I did, oh. never fainted from doing the sauna ever. Gotcha. <laughs> just to clarify. So there were, for, for you, there were never any severe adverse reactions to the sauna or any any. I mean, the dizziness was that from the sauna or was that just in general because of Lyme disease? Um, I think the dizziness is in general because of Lyme disease. I can honestly only think of of the hundreds of saunas I've done. I think there's been two times where I was maybe a little dehydrated and I was like, Ooh, I think I'm going to get out of here a little earlier today. Um, because I could feel myself get a little dizzy, but it was never anything beyond that. So now that you're treating, you're in the current phase where you're treating the Lyme and Bartonella together, what do you know, what antibiotics you're taking or what combination of antibiotics do you have that recollection? I am on zithromycin right now. And then I'm on, Oh God, is it Malarone or, uh, it's a couple of other, kind of nasty ones is Malarum, that, <laughs> is that the yellow favorite yeah yeah the yellow uh so that's Rabisi, i believe the malarone correct yeah yes actually yes and with Rabisi, i have to ask did you have night sweats right because we talked we, we touched on insomnia and i never really got to drill into that with you so i guess the first question regarding that is did you have night sweats from Rabisi? because that can be disgusting i've had them and they're they're horrible i absolutely had night sweats from Babesia. They were totally gross because like on top of it, it was also, there was so much anxiety around falling asleep. And I don't think that there's like, I, it's so, I do, I hear, I think that there is an interesting part of the Lyme story that I do wonder if there aren't a lot more women in my category that get misdiagnosed with hormone issues when actually it's really cases of Lyme. Because pretty much every doctor I saw pretty much wanted to tell me that 
because I had spent a long time on birth control and I wasn't taking birth control anymore. It's just my hormones weren't working. And, um, and really it had nothing to do with it at all. It was all Lyme related, but it was just like, oh, I'm a woman. And, uh, then that's the one size fits all diagnosis. So you mentioned the anxieties around sleeping. So what were your anxieties around sleeping? Because I think that's common, you know, insomnia is common, anxiety is common, but for you, what were the thoughts you were having when you were leading up to going to sleep? Okay. So at the end of 2019, when I started exhibiting PTSD symptoms, all of a sudden my internal clock shifted. I was someone who would usually go to bed between nine and midnight, um, you know, would wake up, you know, pretty much around like nine, you know, eight or nine in the morning, like, you know, actors hours are a little different, but, um, all of a sudden I was getting this jolt of energy at 10 PM and it would not, this adrenaline would not leave me until maybe seven the next morning. And then I was exhausted. So I was kind of like the walking dead for a while. I had anxiety about falling asleep, about staying asleep. I had been on a lot of different sleep medications, uh, but it just got, it was so heightened. And then having night sweats on top of it, again, every doctor just said, oh, this is hormones. This isn't anything else. So when you start now with the Babesia treatment, were the night sweats worse while you were treating because it was actually killing the Babesia? And, you know, when, when or have they stopped at all the, the night sweats so far for you? Oh, the night sweats are totally done. They're totally finished. Um, I have to say the first month of treatment, I, I swear, I, I remember as being a day because I was so out of it and I literally couldn't leave my apartment. I was so ill. So, I mean, I guess that's like kind of the, the one good part. It's not like I have any bad memories of that recovery. I mean, I knew it was brutal, but um, like the first month, two months, like they were kind of nuts. After that, and I started this whole sauna and cold thing, everything really started looking up and like my activity level, I could walk for 20 blocks. I could do things I hadn't been able to do in years. So Kim, give us a timeline. You mentioned you were on, you were on treatment for Babesia about two months and now you're doing the Lyme and Bartonella. How long ago was it when you started the treatment for Babesia? So how long in total have you been treating for right now? In total, I have been treated. This is, I think I'm going into month eight. Um, the truth is at, on my, I think I had, you know, my first appointment with my Lyme doctor, I was literally suicidal. My second appointment, which I believe was eight weeks later, I had made such a vast improvement like that he had never seen in 40 years of treating patients where he really, he really could not believe that I could jump that quickly. And even my Lyme, I was like, you know, I think it has something to do with this infrared sauna and this cold therapy <laughs> was pretty dismissive. <laughs> I was like, Oh, well, it makes you feel better. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> it's just like, so like you can also be dismissed by your Lyme doctor <laughs> is all I'm here to say. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure Kim, you're like, I'm going to, keep doing it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, are you comfortable sharing? I don't think you did share. Are you comfortable sharing the name of your Lyme doctor with our listeners? And is he located in New York city or is she located? Oh, no, in New York city? I don't know if I made him sound really good just now. I don't know if you want to. No, I, I mean, look, when, the fact that you said <laughs> in eight weeks, you went from suicidal to feeling suicidal and, and homebound and almost dead bound to being, you know, in a great state of mind. And, and physically, I think that's, that's a really powerful, you know, <laughs> testimony to both your doctor and you though, Kim, right? Because you were doing things and, and making progress on your end and being guided by a good Lyme doctor, you know? 
Um, yes, I, I go to Dr. Raxland, who's based out of New Jersey, because as some people might not know, uh, a lot of Lyme uh, testing, I believe, is like it's not um, recognized in the state of New York. So a lot of Lyme doctors are based out of Connecticut and New Jersey for a lot of New Yorkers. So and with Dr. Raxland, so you're doing a combination of antibiotics. You gave us those. You're doing a bunch of supplements. Bunch, um, a bunch of supplements. Do, yeah. do you know any of the supplements that you're taking? Like, are there any that are like, wow, this is really powerful and I want to share it with everybody that's listening right now? God, I wish I could say that. Um, but I really, the only thing I can really say that about is meditation, hot and cold therapy, and getting rid of toxic people and situations. I, I truly feel like that has done most of the, and, and, and getting really great therapists. I mean, I'm on some, I'm on some broccoli sprouts, which are supposed to help. I mean, I don't know. I'm on basically every, you know, I, I've, I've listened to a lot of these episodes. They've all been named. Um, I can't say that any, you know, specific supplement has made me feel amazing. I do find that B12 shots have been really helpful for energy, but um, I, you know, I think it's like, they just, they all go in combination with each other, truly. So you've been at it now for about eight months. And I guess the last six months or so have been specific to Lyme and, and Bartonella, correct? Oh, I think so. Or now is it a mix, I, I a mix and match? Mix, mixes it up a little, I apologize. <laughs> no, but even, even if it's a mix and match, I mean, have you tested recently? I'm curious, you know, where your numbers are, what your thoughts are as far as, you That's know, what question. levels you still have in you and, you know, where you're at right now today. Okay. So here's the thing that uh, I don't know if it's discussed that much uh, on this podcast. So a lot of these tests are not covered by insurance. And I work in an industry, one of my industries, which was hit very hard during COVID, where none of us were able to act for a very long time. And there were no programs in place. So just for the sheer expense of it, until I'm on my next fancy gig, like I don't even imagine that I would even consider testing again, just because like, I, I don't really feel like I want to give $5,000 away to have the peace of mind of like, oh yeah, I'm healthy. Like, I feel like I, I'm going to, I'm going to know if I'm healthy or not. Um, but that is a really tricky part of this, which is like everything. And the things that I'm talking about, like hot and cold therapy, like again, unless you have a sauna in your house and you're going to run outside in the snow, like all of that stuff, you're going to be spending a heck of a lot of money to treat. Um, so Lyme ends up being really expensive, which I, I feel like unless you've got really deep pockets, um, it can be a really challenging uh, undertaking for a lot of people. That's why I guess if I could lead people to someplace, um, I really found that Nicole Sachs, who uh, used to work with Dr. John Sarno, who wrote this very famous book called Healing Back Pain, has a whole journaling practice uh, where you can do this and it really helps relieve chronic pain. So if you find yourself in a lot of pain, you can for free watch her YouTube videos and go to her channel and just 20 minutes a day do this free form journaling practice. And I found it to be really helpful. So Kim, that was Nicole Sachs, who, yeah. and it's, and that her program is called Healing Back Pain. Is that what it was? Uh, no, so she is off of uh, Dr. John Sarno wrote a, she studied with him. He wrote a really famous book called Healing Back Pain. Essentially, he wants to say that all back pain is just in your mind. Um, I'm simplifying it a lot. But really what she is expressing is, no, I feel as though chronic pain is actually repressed emotions. So in, along with our talking about people pleasing, 
and, you know, trauma survivors, there's a lot of people that are people pleasers that are never going to express how they really feel. And so this is a way for free that you can get those feelings out of you because maybe you're not in a place where you can afford a great therapist right now. Like maybe like, so this is just like a free thing that you can do for anybody in the community that doesn't have deep pockets, like, because that's a reality for a lot of people. So my final question before Rich picks back up is, you know, looking back at the last eight months of treatment and being diagnosed and even before that, just intuitively what was going on, if you were walking down the street in New York City right after this podcast episode and somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know, I just got diagnosed with Lyme disease and you had you sparked up this conversation, what advice would you give them, you know, to help them shortcut their healing journey that you wish you had when you first got diagnosed? I was going to say something really nasty, like get rid of your family. (laughs) No, I guess I would say, I mean, I think that Hallie Pfeiffer really, oh my God, shout out. Um, I I think really, hmm, I would say, you know yourself better than anyone. And it doesn't matter if somebody has a degree and it doesn't matter if they're a specialist. If you know something is wrong, something is wrong. And, you know, they say this to people who try to quit smoking, which is also like, how many times do I quit smoking until I can quit smoking? It's like as many times as it takes. And it's in the same principle of like, you don't see kids that don't know how to walk because their parents were just like, ah, he's already tried 20 times. We're not trying again. No, like every kid learns how to walk. So I feel it's the same way when it comes to your health. It's like, you're the boss. And if you're not getting answers and you know something is wrong, you just got to keep finding that right doctor that's going to give you the right answer. So now let's, let's talk about the beauty of this journey. What part of this journey would you not give back for anything? How, what did you learn about yourself? What superpowers did you discover? And how are you planning to use those superpowers to help other people who are on the journey? Well, I, I mean, if you look at things like a butterfly effect, I, I guess I can't, I can't regret anything. Um, I, there's so, I'm so grateful. I am so incredibly grateful. And if there's anything that I've learned is like, what a badass I am mentally to put up with this for so many years and to still come out of it being grateful and happy and healthy. And my body is stronger than it has ever been. And I, I, I really feel like I, I had no idea how mentally strong I was until getting really tested in this way. So one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about the end of your conversation with Matt is you talked about the importance of husbanding resources and being really cautious about where you spend your money when you're on this journey. And then you talked about the things that were the most important to you on your healing journey, all of which seem to have been free, right? <laughs> so you, you talked about hot and cold therapy, and at least the cold elements of your therapy were done for free because you were walking outside without a coat on. Um, you talked about meditation. And of course, there are different tools that you could, you could use to develop a meditation practice, many of which are free. Talked about social detoxing. And I really enjoyed the way you articulated social detoxing. And, and, you know, and, I, and I heard the hint of the element where you were saying, well, you know, with 
so many of these people, they wouldn't even know that they've been detoxed out of your life because they're so self-centered. They wouldn't even realize that they're out. Right. So, you know, that's, that's one of the, one of the really cool, I think, um, uh, observations you made. You talked about the journaling practice, the uh, Nicole Sachs uh, journaling practice, which was free. So, you know, what you did is you went on this journey where you were taking responsibility for your own care. You were listening to your, your body signals. You were looking for doctors who would help you, but you moved on when a doctor wouldn't help you at 80 of them over the course of some window of time. And you, and you ultimately found a doctor that would help you and you stayed with that doctor. But even that doctor is not the person that's causing you to heal. They're just giving you, or he's just giving you some frameworks in addition to all the other frameworks you've built for your healing. So does healing... I'd like you to reflect on that for a minute. Does, does healing from Lyme disease really have to be that expensive? Or do we allow our anxiety to rush us to a place where we're spending the most money on the people who are the stars in the community? Um, and really what we could be doing is we could be building out tools where you did that would be the most valuable, even though they're the least expensive. Uh, well, let, I will say this. Um, I would love to be in the position where I could go and, you know, get SOT or get, you know, could the hive, you know, like all of these things sound incredibly appealing to me. I mean, I'm just being honest and realistic because I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners that will find themselves where they're like, wow, I don't have an extra $250,000 to throw at this Lyme disease. You know, I mean, it's a real thing. Um, yeah, but can we, we've interviewed many wealthy people, many uber wealthy people, and they didn't get better any faster than the people who didn't have unlimited resources. And I think one of the, one of the things that we find the most concerning, for example, on this podcast is we have a group of people who often criticize us for not focusing on people with platforms, celebrities, for example, like you, um, who have a platform and could be a leader in the community. And, you know, and, and one of the things we always argue to those folks is, that, well, we don't know where these folks are in their journey and they, you know, they have to heal their way. And we sh certainly shouldn't be judging people who are, who are, um, who are celebrities that, you know, they, you know, we have to, we have to be understanding with them, but then when we do start to focus on celebrities and we do start to focus on people who have unlimited resources, then the argument is, well, the only reason I'm not getting better is because I don't have unlimited resources. Right. So we sort of would damned if we do, and we damned if we don't, when it comes to interviewing celebrities and we're always really cautious about teasing out the right celebrities, quite frankly, like you, we, 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 we were making sure we were finding the right kind of people. So, so that yes, you are successful. Yes, you are resourceful. Yes, you have resources, but you're not Justin Bieber with billions of dollars available to you, right? So that's, that's, so I'm not sure that it's resources that are significant. It's resourcefulness that's significant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really one of the things you manifest. It's resourcefulness. And, you know, you, you were talking about the thing, you know, like you learned about yourself that you are gritty or you're tough, you know, and yeah, you know those things, but you're also really resourceful. Right. And it's actually the resourcefulness that even before you got your diagnosis allowed you to maintain this really crazy lifestyle that actors have to maintain in order to be able to achieve the level of success that you did. It was resourcefulness, not money. Oh, <laughs> no, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I guess what I would say is if you have all the money in the world, what I would do is instead of bringing it to some fancy doctor, I would. I would invest in the therapies I just talked about because those are going to be beneficial no matter what your health is. 
you know what I mean? Like, so like if, you, if you're dealing with a detox protocol, that's going to help you no matter what. If you're going to do hot and cold therapy, that is helping you out no matter what. If you're going to focus on your diet and make sure you're eating whole foods, that is going to help you no matter what. So I, I kind of would think like, you know, because even those things, like they do cost something. And it's like, we're, we're in just a really interesting moment in time of the haves and the have nots. And I know that it can feel really overwhelming if someone's like, well, I went to this clinic and it was, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, but then I came back, I was fine. Like, so I guess I can be your poster girl to be like, nope, you can live in a, you know, crazy New York city and you can get better too. We've actually interviewed a number of different, um, number of different people who have gone to these, you know, gazillion dollar clinics and they did not come back healed. You know, we, we actually interviewed Dr. Leo Shea, who's one of the top line uh, psychologists in the world. Um, and what he, what he argued during his podcast was that there's actually absolutely no evidence to support the conclusion that going to one of these high price clinics will have a greater impact on your healing journey than if you don't go. So I don't think the data supports the belief it is the belief in the community that's driving, you know, driving all of these expenses. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share another thing with you. We, uh, we had interviewed a, a one of the star researchers, probably the star researcher in the in the Lyme community, and Matt was kind of fawning over him. We were kind of happy to have him on the podcast, and Matt was all happy about him. And Matt had said to him, "You're the star in the community," and he said, "Matt, don't call me that. Don't call me a star." because the stars are the people who are hurting this community. They're the people who are limiting where we can research. They're, they're the people who are limiting where inquiry can go. Everybody is looking to them and what they're doing is they're setting these, they're setting these silos that are preventing us from doing the work that needs to be done. So, so, so don't call me a star and be careful of the stars. Mm, that's interesting, that's great. Um, I earlier you asked me a question of what I would like to uh, do going forward. I mean, I feel so grateful that I already have a whole other, you know, dual career where I get to help people. And, you know, I feel a bit like, you know, the bionic woman. It's like I have been I've had so many severe injuries that I was told I could never possibly heal from. And I love being a living example that you can heal from anything. Like, I really do believe if you put your mind and your energy and your focus to it, like it can happen. And I think what I would also say is like, believe it's possible as silly as that sounds, but like, if you're in a mental state where you just can't even imagine, well, guess what? Like, you're not going to be able to imagine it and your body's probably not going to follow suit. I think there's a lot of strength in like just closing your eyes for 10 minutes and visualizing, like, what would it be like to walk around in this world without pain? What would it be like to have the kind of life that you really dreamed of? Uh, I think that really your mind is the most important thing that you have. Kim, when you were talking about that earlier, that also made me think about what you deserve, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think so many people don't believe they deserve to be healthy, to be cured, to be remitted. They just don't believe they deserve it. If they don't believe they deserve it, then they're not going to believe that they can. If they don't think they can, then they will not be, right? Yeah. So then I would say start with the most, oh my God, white girl, ridiculous piece of advice ever, which is like, 
start with like a gratitude journal at night. It's like what you focus on grows. It's true. So like if you can find five things in a day and it can just be like, wow, I was able to walk to the kitchen today. Awesome. Like it can be really small, but I do think that like keeping your, cause I, I think that this, the culture of like toxic positivity that's not going to be helpful because that's basically what this journaling practice I was talking about is addressing, which is repressing your emotions. I don't mean that. I mean, like have an outlet, whether it's with a therapist, with a friend, uh, doing some kind of combat sport, like doing some kind of writing practice, whatever it is to get those emotions out of you. And then you focus on the stuff that's working out and the stuff that's really good. And I think you'll find that it really helps you get better just much, much quicker. Talk to us about how that helps you to get better quicker is because you're identifying those things that you have and then you're building on those. And that's how you ultimately get to the place where you, you feel like you deserve to be better and you ultimately can envision the person that you want to become or not the person, but the, but the level of health you want to attain. I would say yes to all. I, I believe that that's how, and I, I believe that when you focus on what's working for you, that is going to set your mindset up for focusing on the good, as opposed to when you were in chronic, like crippling pain, when you were in so much pain where you can't see straight. And I should know because I, I, I spent over a decade in New York. Every day of my life was that way. Everything was overwhelming. Like, oh my God, every time I step on my foot, it feels like a knife is stabbing me and I've got to walk six blocks from the subway to get home. That was overwhelming. When you can start to shift in your brain, the stuff that is working out, I find that it really preps you to be in a position to receive, which a lot of people do not feel that they are deserving of receiving anything good. And I think a lot of people can get into a position of being a professional patient and like sort of identify with that. And I just, at least for me, like, oh my goodness, I am so happy to not be sick. <laughs> I'm like, like, I know I'm not even fully healed yet. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I'm identifying with this totally healthy, vibrant version of Kim Director. So Kim, you've been, you've been actually a, a, a pleasure to interview and a pleasure to talk with. And uh, you are, again, um, you know, a, a real inspiration. And, and I want to ask you one more question because we've taken over two hours of your time and you've been very kind. Um, if, God forbid, um, the wonderful uh, Haley Pfeiffer came into the room right after the podcast, and she, she was just such a powerful person on your, um, on your journey. And she had to take biting her on her arm. What would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't have to revisit her difficult Lyme disease journey? Oh my God. <laughs> I think it would just be like two women screaming and running over to Cedar Sinai, like at the exact same time, because I'm in Los Angeles right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, the part of it, which is, this is actually the part that is so crazy to be on Lyme disease is that. Oh man, it's like early intervention does so much. A Lyme literate doctor can do so much. And I find it to be a real shame that it hasn't been a, a more public conversation because it shouldn't have to be a terrifying thing. It should actually be kind of straightforward and like, here's this issue and this is how we're going to deal with it. 
I know plenty of people that were bitten by ticks, but they grew up in places like Connecticut and they knew to get treatment right away and they were fine and never had any issue. And then I just look at somebody who was completely oblivious like myself and just like kept being told that, you know, I was a woman and therefore I, I would feel crazy. I mean, it just, it just is kind of wild to me. Um, so I thank you very, very much for having this podcast and bringing uh, such a great spotlight to this that so many people are suffering from. And, and Kim, we can't thank you enough for sharing your beautiful story with the Tick Bootcamp community. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Kim Director. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kim, please visit her on Instagram at Miss Kim Director. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you'd like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. If you're looking for a specific episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, whether it be a particular topic, a particular person, or a particular location, visit our website at tickbootcamp.com search, and you'll be able to find exactly what you're looking for. Thank you, as always, for listening.